so now I know as Christians we're not supposed to, you know, be arrogant or brag about ourselves, but I just want to, if you will indulge me, just a couple things I really want to share. Um, <clears throat> I have a talent, maybe some might even call it a gift, that I can recall with such exact detail every stupid and awkward thing I have ever done in my life. Things that might have happened years ago, and I can be right back in that moment. And I know, I know that I'm the only one in here that struggles, or doesn't struggle, but has this massive gift. But, um, well, let me give you an example. Uh, this was at our old church. As music director, you're responsible for a lot of, of different moving parts when you're putting together a, a cantata. So I get there early, I set up the sound system, I run the rehearsal. After the rehearsal, I'm breaking down the sound equipment, kind of getting things put in order. The cast, the crew, they're all there milling around the church. And I have a sweet time of fellowship with, with a, a friend of mine in my office. And, um, you know, I'm sharing my heart, a little burdened. I have this procedure called a colonoscopy coming up. And, and I was sharing some of the details, maybe a little bit too much detail, if you can imagine. And all of a sudden, our custodian rushes into my office and says, Troy, do you have a microphone on you? When I was cleaning up the stage, I put a handheld mic in my coat pocket, and I was broadcasting this to the entire church as I was sharing this personal information with my friends. So, so that's one example of some extreme details that I can come up with. Now, um, whenever I have those experiences, it, it's like I'm right back there in that moment. And, and similarly, uh, you know, when I think about some of my past sins, especially early in my walk with Christ, you know, I, I, I came to Christ, I came to the cross, I knew I was forgiven. And, you know, uh, periodically you'll have these flashes that come back from your past sins and say, oh, I feel so bad about that. And you ask God to forgive you again. He's already forgiven you. He said he had forgotten that sin. But that's, that's something that comes with maturing as you're a Christian. Um, but yeah, I would, I would hang on to, to the trying to be re-forgiven for things that God said he already forgot about. Likewise, as a young Christian, you know, I, I didn't really understand that when I got saved, um, I knew that the sins I had committed had been forgiven, but what about all the other sins I'm going to commit? Are, 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 there, are those covered? And it was a little confusing to me. So today we're going to actually get into a passage that's going to help answer some of these questions and uh, go into a little bit of a deep dive into uh, a pretty cool topic. So grab your Bibles, grab your devices, those at home, go ahead and find a Bible yourselves. And we're going to go to the last three verses in chapter 13 in the book of John. Now, this passage is going to reveal one of the biggest failures in all of human history. It's going to be setting up our dear friend Peter for a pretty massive fall. Okay, so let me find my passage here. This is uh, John 13, starting at verse 36. Okay, so to set the stage, Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, and um, Judas Iscariot has just left. And so Jesus is, he, he just witnessed the first domino fall that's going to lead to his crucifixion. And so he's sharing his heart with his disciples. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm about to go someplace, and where I'm going, you cannot follow. And so we jump in here with Simon Peter, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. 
Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you that the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, this is one of those special passages that actually appears in all four of the Gospels. So I think there's something for us to, to dive into here if, if it's important enough to have in each of the Gospels. So now I had an amazing sermon prepared about sin, future sin, and I had a practical example that was going to illuminate us as to uh, how a holy God um, cannot be around sin. But around midweek, you know, you, you feel the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and, and there was a different message that God wanted to preach today. So someone in this room is responsible for me having to, to change the message midweek. Um, but I appreciate it because going into this deep dive into the, what we're going to be talking about today, it was just amazing for me. So when we look through the passage that we just read, there's a couple of things that really stood out to me after I um, had a chance to really meditate on the scripture. We see um, Peter wanting to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. Okay, that's a prediction of the future. And then we have Peter saying that I will lay my, my life down for you, and then Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's a second prediction of the future. Jesus knows something more than the rest of us know. So we're going to look into what that is. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about one of the attributes of God called omniscience. Now, an attribute of God is one of those things that God reveals about himself in the word of God. And an attribute is not something that God does. It's not something God does. That's not his attribute. An attribute of God is something God is. Okay? Some of the easy ones. Um, God is holy. Okay? Now, we know that God is holy not because he conforms to a holy standard. God is holy because he is the standard. Okay? So that's what an attribute is. We know God is good, we know God is just, he is merciful, he is eternal, and he is faithful. Okay, those are all true attributes of God. Now we have some uh, college words for a few of the others. His immutability, um, mutate, something changes, okay? Immute, he cannot change. Immutability, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is an attribute, that is something that God is. His omnipresence. He is here right now with us worshiping uh, as we worship him. Uh, and he's also with other uh, uh, believing churches throughout the world right now, simultaneously. He is with all of us at once. He is omnipresent. He is uh, um, omnipotent, okay? All-powerful. So he is almighty. There is nothing that he cannot do. And then the one we're going to be looking at today is his omniscience, okay? Uh, now, the word omniscience does not appear in the Bible, okay? It's one of those words that, even though we don't find it in Scripture, it's a word that describes something that we see throughout the Bible. And uh, because it's not Greek or Hebrew, it's actually a Latin word. comes together with two words, omni, meaning all, and it is uh, scientia, is the other Latin word, which means knowledge, and that's where we get our word science. So uh, om, omniscience is all-knowing. He knows everything. 
And I've known that this is a true thing about God since I started studying the Bible. But what does that really mean? What, what does that mean in shoe leather for you and me? Okay? So we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into his omniscience. So you're going to need to get your Bibles out. Um, I, I'm a visual person. I really like to have images up there. But it's so difficult to find a picture of somebody knowing something. Okay? It doesn't really lend itself well. So we are going to dive into the scriptures. Um, so if you have an electronic device at home, go ahead and grab uh, whatever you need to. Uh, and we're going to get going through several different scriptures here. Okay. So just for like an overview, let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. All right. And we're going to go to uh, verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Of course, these are all rhetorical questions. Nobody did. All right? So what this teaches us is that God has never learned anything. Never learned anything. God has never been taught anything. God has never discovered anything, and no one has enlightened God about a single fact. He already knows it all, okay? And that is just amazing, okay? So um, when you're looking at God's omniscience, and I did a study on a lot of the different passages, and I I found four broad categories that help encapsulate his omniscience. And the first one we're going to look at is that God knows everything about creation. He knows everything about the physical universe, the world that we live in. And uh, so looking at the macrocosm, the big picture, uh, we're going to go to Psalm 147, verse 4. 147, verse 4, which says, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. So to put that in perspective... Let's think about Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham was promised an heir, he was old, he didn't have an heir, and God brought him outside at night and said, Abraham, look at the stars. And I don't know if you've had a chance to be out where there is no light pollution, to see the myriad of stars that we can see in the night sky, but it's billions upon billions. And so Abraham is looking at this, and God says to him, if you can number those stars, you can number your descendants. And uh, how moving to know that the God that was talking to Abraham, he knew how many there were. Not only that, he knew each of their names. And so that is a macrocosm to how much God knows. Now let's go to the microcosm, the small. Uh, Luke 12, verse 6. Luke 12, 6. All right. And that says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one of them. So God knows his creation so well, he knows it down to a single bird. And that should absolutely blow your mind right there. Um, So looking at how God knows all of his creation, we're going to jump to the book of Job 28.24. Job 28.24 And that reads, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Additionally, we can go to Matthew 17. Okay. 
Matthew 17, which says, uh, it's basically the, the part where Jesus is going to be entering the temple, and he needs to pay the temple tax, and he's like, you know, the heir isn't supposed to pay because he's the heir, but you know, we don't want to offend, so tell you what, Peter, go put a, a hook in the water, and when you pull up a fish, it's going to have um, money in it, what is it? It's going to be a shekel. Take that and give it to them for yourself and me. He knew where that fish was. He knew where that shekel was. He knows everything. Okay, so that was a snapshot of how God knows everything about the physical universe. The second general category that uh, his omniscience covers is that God knows everything about the future. Okay? So looking at Isaiah 46, 9, and starting about halfway through, through the verse... It says, I am God, and then there is, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that have not yet done. Okay, so he knows everything about the future. Um, likewise, uh, we, we think about when Jesus was crucified, he had a criminal on either side of him, okay? So... One criminal was giving him a hard time. The other criminal was like, hey, we are getting what we deserve. This man is innocent. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay, this is a powerful message right here. But uh, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what he says. Now, crucifixion is not a quick death. They've been on the cross for an hour, hour or two. And they're not expected to die for a couple of days. But Jesus said, today. You're going to be with me in paradise. Unbeknownst to everyone else, you know, the, the Pharisees did say, hey, can we kind of, you know, break their legs so we can hasten this up? we got a dinner to get to. And so that criminal who put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ at the last minute, by the way, he never got baptized. He never did good works to earn his salvation. He believed, and he got to go to heaven. Hallelujah for that. But that day, he was with Jesus in paradise. Okay, so Jesus knows the future. Um, and these attributes of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all attributes of the same God. So, now, the fact that God knows the future is kind of the proof that we have in the Bible that shows that we can trust what it says. Uh, for example, there were over 30 prophecies about the life of Jesus, and these prophecies were written down between 600 years before he was born to 2,000 years before they were born. We have these things in documents older than Jesus, saying this is what the Messiah is going to be going through. Jesus is born, lived his whole life, and he exactly accomplished every single one of those 30 prophecies. And so how can he explain this? It's because God is omniscient. He knows the future. So I want each of you to think really hard, and in your, your memory, can you clearly see what you had for breakfast this morning? Okay, not a hard task. Jesus knows the future as clearly as you can picture what you had for breakfast. He knows it. And uh, that's just amazing. The next broad category for his omniscience is uh, that he knows everything about every human. He knows where we are. He knows what we're thinking. And we see in Proverbs chapter 15, if you all go there. Okay, where's that one? Okay. Proverbs 15, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man, okay? So 
I think back to when the Pharisees were talking with Jesus, and they tried to trick him. They tried to say, you know, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus knew their hearts. He knew what they were up to, and he was able to answer them in a way that just left them stunned. Every single time that they tried to challenge him, Jesus knows people's hearts. They brought the woman caught in the act of adultery. He knew their hearts of everyone around. Say, everyone without sin, throw the first stone. He knew their hearts, and he didn't throw the stone either, and he was the only one without sin. Uh, Okay, so Jeremiah 23. Okay, now, we've seen that he knows the hearts of people. Now we're going to see that he knows the location of people. Jeremiah 23, 24, for those who are racing me to the, the various scriptures. All right. And that one reads, Can a man hide himself in the secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Uh, John 1, 48 and 49, we look at Nathaniel, who uh, Philip um, brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And when he saw him, Jesus said, Here's uh, a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? And Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And boom, that was enough for Nathaniel. <laughs> You're the Holy One of Israel. And, and so Jesus knew where Nathaniel was even at that time. Um, Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Um, and so he knows where all of us are. There's no place where you can go on planet Earth, off planet Earth, that God is not there. Uh, So looking at the detail now of how much he knows about every single individual, we can look at Matthew chapter 30, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, verse 30, and that's the section that talks about how even the hairs on your head are numbered. Amazing. So I was getting a little punchy, and I'm like, okay, well, how many hairs are on the typical human head? So I kind of did a little mini deep dive on that, and it was actually kind of interesting. Um, There's roughly 100,000 hairs on each of our heads, but it's not evenly distributed. Blonde people have about 150 hairs on their head follicles. Um, We have uh, the brown-haired come in second with 110. Uh, Black-haired people have 100,000 hairs, and redheads only 90,000. Fascinating. I had no idea. And now you know. All right. So if you do the math, we have a population on this planet of 7.96 billion. So if you do the math, an average of 100,000 per head, that is 796 trillion hairs on people's heads that God is tracking right now. So that's a pretty incredible level of detail for how much God knows each and every one of us. All right, so we think about John chapter 4, where uh, Jesus is having the conversation with the woman at the well. Uh, we, we see that uh, it's a pleasant conversation. He says, go call your husband. And she says, well, I have no husband. And he says, correct, you've actually had four. Um, and so opened her eyes. He knew everything about that woman at the well. And, and that knowledge that he knew her so intimately just blew her away, and she went and brought everyone else in the village to meet Jesus. Okay, so what can we glean from all this? It, it shows us that God has all knowledge about everything. He knows the visible. He knows the invisible. He knows everything on earth. He knows everything under the sea. He knows past, 
present, and future. God knows all three of these things perfectly, exhaustively, and simultaneously. So, practically speaking, that means God knows who shot JFK. He absolutely knows it. He knows where the Ark of the Covenant is right at this moment. Uh, he knows what Stonehenge was originally constructed for. We're just guessing at this point. Um, he knows what is inside Area 51. Absolutely, he knows it. And he knows what really happened to Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> he knows it, 100%. So uh, God knows it all because he is omniscient. Now, the, the last broad category for describing God's omniscience gets a little personal, okay? Uh, and that's the fact that God knows you on an intensely personal level, you and me both. Uh, so to give us a little view on this, go ahead and go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amazing. So nothing is hidden from God. Before God, each of us is totally and completely exposed. There's no scheme that he doesn't understand. There's no disguise that he doesn't see through. And there's no secret sin that God doesn't already know about. Looking at Psalm 90, verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Luke 12, uh, 2 and 3, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. That one kind of freaked me out when I first read that, because I've said a lot of things in private that I don't want shouted from a rooftop. Um, but, but we see here that God knows each of us very intimately. Now, I'd like everyone to turn to Psalm 139. And what we're going to do here is see a little bit of David's uh, epiphanies about when he was meditating on the omniscience of God and what that did to him as a person and, and through his faith. Okay? So the first six verses of Psalm 139. This is David speaking now. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge. And this time around, I read that such knowledge as in the knowledge of God, the omniscience of God. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. So to put that in modern terms, just blows his mind how much God knows about him personally. Okay. Um, so Psalm 139, jumping down to verse 13 now. This is uh, talking about how God knew us even before we were born. Uh, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So uh, God knows us before we are here on earth, but he also knew anything, everything about us before we were born. Jumping down to verse 16, also in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book uh, were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me 
when, as yet, there was none of them. Okay? And so all of those were David before he was born. Just so you know that this goes for more than just David. Jeremiah 1.5 talks about how before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. So if it's true for those two, it's true for everyone in here. God knows the end from the beginning. Absolutely everything. Okay. So um, if David, when he was writing Psalm 139, if he couldn't fathom the true omniscience of God, then neither can we. So we've gotten through a lot of scripture, we've covered a lot of ground, and I know it could be a bit overwhelming. And that was kind of intentional, because with as overwhelming as all of that information is, we have barely scratched the surface on what God truly knows. So when I was doing this deep dive on the omniscience of God, I've never done a study on his omniscience, this really opened my eyes to how much I can trust him. He knows everything, and he is all-powerful. We can put our absolute faith and trust in him, knowing... He knows what he's doing. Okay, so that is what the Bible says. How is this going to impact you when you go to work tomorrow? What difference can this possibly make in our lives on a daily basis, knowing that God knows a whole bunch of stuff? So, let's take a look. Um, now, if God knows everything, um, that could actually bring you kind of great peace, or it could be a little terrifying. And the difference between whether it's terrifying or whether it brings you comfort might be on, on your personal relationship with Jesus. Um, now, there is a for all of us, we have something called a birth certificate. And on that birth certificate, there is a specific time that we were born into this world and we took our first breath. And although we were going to die someday, we can never become unborn after that. We are born, this is the time, it's a one-time thing, and it cannot be undone. Likewise, there is a spiritual rebirth. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus talks about it being born again. Uh, in John chapter 5, Jesus talks about how those are crossed over from death into life. And of course, that's the perfect tense in the Greek, so it means they have crossed over from death into life, are crossed over from death into life, and always will be crossed over from death into life. Meaning that for our spiritual birth, for our rebirth, that is also a one-time thing that can never be undone. Hallelujah for that. So, if you um, are someone who has not made that commitment to Jesus, if you're someone who has not availed yourself of the one thing that can save you from your sins, First uh, John 1, 7 talks about the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That is the only way to have your sins forgiven, is by... Um, having that second birth, having that second moment where you realize that there is a God and it's not you, it's Jesus and, and the, his sacrifice on the cross and accepting his free gift of salvation, that moment is when you get saved. I highly encourage you to do that if you haven't done that yet. Um, so, now, if we could see us as God sees us without the blood covering of Christ, I'm not sure we could take it, actually. Because uh, we really are that bad. Uh, now, I'm not here to make people depressed or, or say that y'all are really bad people. But uh, the reason I'm saying these things is because, number one, it's true. Okay? And I'm not your friend if I don't tell you the truth. And uh, number two is that's not the end of the story. Okay? So it ends, the story ends with a God who knows more about us than we do ourselves, uh, who chose to go to the cross 
and wants you to be his child. God loves you and he values you in spite of what he knows. And that's not bad news, folks. That's actually really good news. So for those of us who are Jesus' sheep, for those of us in this room who are born again, uh, let's take a look at maybe some of the applications we have from God's omniscience. Okay, it means that God already knows every single minute detail about us, that no spy can inform on us um, and tell God something that he didn't already know. No enemy can give a surprise accusation. No skeleton can fall out of any closet that can endanger our standing with God. God knew it all. He knew all our skeletons before Christ willingly went to the cross. He knew about our secret sins. He knew about our future sins before he adopted us, and he adopted us anyway. Uh, There is nothing that can be revealed about us that can possibly turn God against us. And we see that in Romans 5 eight, where God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Absolutely amazing. Following that, Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, or things present, or things to come, nor powers, or height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you, who are followers of Jesus Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's amazing. So, Jesus knows all the good stuff about us. He knows all the ugly stuff. He knows the bad stuff. He knows the worst than ugly about us. He knows all of this, and he accepts us anyway. He loves us unconditionally anyway. He went to the cross anyway, and God values us so much that uh, we think that you should also value yourself. Okay? Um, As his sheep, we don't have to earn God's acceptance. We already have it. We don't need to be worthy of God's love. We have God's love even though we're not worthy of it. And what a comfort that song was from the choir that even for one of us, Jesus would have gone to the cross. Hallelujah. So um, I hope that this dive into God's omniscience has given you a sense of how huge our God is and uh, in awe of the fact that even though he knows all of the darkness that lives in each and every one of us, that God truly still completely loves us. So the person in this room that needed this message to change, it was me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you so much, and thank you for this time we're able to gather and just look into your word and just know you a little bit better, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to ponder who you are, your greatness, your knowledge, and your love, your grace, and your mercy, Lord. We love you so desperately and pray that you would just have your way in each of our lives. Uh, we thank you for this time to come as we uh, have the Lord's Supper and, and pray, Lord, that uh, if there's anything that we need to confess to you, give to you, we're not surprising you with anything, Lord, not telling you anything you don't already know. We love you and, and uh, draw us closer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.